Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, just just taking in what's good for you. That would be a plan. Monsanto is suffering through a roundup reckoning, a major blow. As a jury ruled, the company is liable for a terminally ill man's cancer. He he got awarded $289 million in damages. He's terminally ill. Dwayne Johnson, 46-year-old former groundskeeper, won a landmark case. The jury determined Monsanto's Roundup weed killer caused his cancer and that the corporation failed to warn him of the health hazards from exposure. The jury further found that Monsanto acted with, quote, malice or oppression. That sounds like a nice game show. Malice or oppression. You choose. Johnson's lawyers argued argued over the course of a month-long trial that Monsanto had fought science for years. Sounds familiar and targeted academics who spoke up about possible health risks of glyphosate. Our old friend glyphosate, that's the key ingredient in Roundup. Johnson, the first person to take Monsanto to court over allegations the chemical would cause cancer. Monsanto is going to appeal. The jury said the company was responsible for negligent failure, not the ordinary kind of failure, and knew or should have known its product was dangerous. Johnson said his, he hopes his case bolsters the thousands of similar lawsuits pending against Monsanto and brings national attention to the issue, like this, like me right now. A judge allowed his team to present scientific arguments. The verdict came a month after a federal judge ruled that cancer survivors or relatives of the deceased could bring similar claims forward in another trial. Probably would made the difference, possibly, in this trial, the plaintiff's attorneys brought forward internal emails from Monsanto executives. They said these demonstrated how the corporation repeatedly ignored experts' warnings, just seeking out favorable scientific analyses and helping to ghostwrite research that encouraged the continued usage of Roundup. Vice President of Monsanto, Scott Partridge, released a statement asserting glyphosate doesn't cause cancer. He's arguing with the World Health Organization, which classified glyphosate as probably carcinogenic to humans. Well, that's right, we're humans. The company is sympathetic to Mr. Johnson and his family, the statement added. Numerous other countries and governments, not the United States, have banned or restricted the use of the herbicide due to health concerns. There's a clue. Also, it's it's a bad week for the chemical companies. A federal appeals court in the United States ruled this week that the administration endangered public health by keeping a widely used pesticide on the market, despite extensive scientific evidence, there's that science again, that even tiny levels of exposure can harm babies' brains. They're attacking babies' brains. Ladies and gentlemen, the Court of Appeals in San Francisco ordered the EPA to remove chlorpyrifos chlorpyrifos from sale in the United States within 60 days. A coalition of farm workers and environmental groups had sued last year after the then EPA chief Scott Pruitt reversed the Obama administration's effort to ban the uh, pesticide which is used on uh, oh your your citrus fruit, your apples and your other crops. You might want to wash those. 
The court said that Pruitt violated federal law by ignoring the conclusions of his own agency's scientists that chlorpyrifos is harmful. Some things are too sacred to play politics with, and our kids top the list, said the Senior Director of Health and Food, the Natural Resources Defense Council. The Attorneys General of California and New York also claimed victory. Greg Schmidt, a spokesman for Dow, which created the chemical, said it's a critical pest management tool used in countries around the world. It uh, belongs to a family, does chlorpyrifos, a family of organophosphate pesticides chemically similar to a nerve gas developed by Nazi Germany before World War II. Traces of it are commonly found in sources of drinking water. That's because of its wide use. 87% of umbilical cord blood samples tested from newborn babies in 2012 contained detectable levels of the pesticide. Babies, ladies and gentlemen. Dow voluntarily withdrew it for use as a home insecticide under pressure from the federal government in 2000. Uh, the Associated Press reported last year that Pruitt announced his agency's reversal of the Obama ban, Obama-era ban, just 20 days after his official schedule showed a meeting with the CEO of Dow. His company had written a $1 million check to help underwrite the inauguration. These nutty coincidences, will they ever stop? Hello, welcome to the show. Ain't no leaps in a ball There ain't no bumps on a line 
From just off the Royal Mile, think of it, in Edinburgh, Scotland, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. You probably know already, if you don't, you should, about a, a, a quite horrific bombing this week in Yemen. I know we don't get told a lot about Yemen. We got that Syria thing, and then we got Trump. Um, but there's a war going on. A, uh, I believe it's the United Nations has called it the uh, site of the greatest humanitarian catastrophe on the planet Earth right now, aside from the basic ex- existence of humanity. But it uh, it pits Iran and its uh, allies, the Houthi rebels, against the internationally recognized government of Yemen, which has been toppled, and its allies, the uh, many of the Gulf states, mainly Saudi Arabia, whom the United Kingdom and the United States have been supplying with uh, weaponry and uh, navigation and, you know, advice, c- counsel, good counsel. Well, there was an airstrike this week on a bus, a school bus, carrying school children. That's what you would find on a school bus. And I think most intelligence would... The uh, Saudi-led coalition announced this week it's going to be investigating the strike by its uh, own forces. Killed and injured dozens did the uh, attack. Now, uh, last month, the Saudi Arabian, Arabian King Salman it's out, it's out of season, as it turns out. King Salman uh, pardoned all military men involved in Operation Restoring Hope in Yemen. He did that last month, clearing them of military and disciplinary penalties. So, given that, it's unlikely that the Saudi investigation will result in any penalties or punishment for anybody. Last year, the coalition, led by the Saudi Arabians, said it would investigate strikes that led to civilian casualties and ultimately cleared itself of wrongdoing. The U.N. Secretary General has called for an independent investigation of the airstrike. Made possible by us and carried out by our freedom-loving friends in the land of 15,000 princes. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr. Well, one of the great arguments for the Olympic Games is the legacy for the host city. So as the 10th anniversary of the 2008 Beijing Olympics Games approaches, its legacy remains unmistakable. Many of the venues built for the lavish event have fallen into disrepair, leaving them unloved and abandoned, according to Brinkwire.com. Logos bearing the name Beijing 2008 were left rusting at the deserted beach volleyball stadium in the city center. Broken statues of the Olympic mascots, I'd buy those, were left lying among trees behind unfinished buildings. 
The Bird's Nest Stadium and the Water Cube Aquatic Center left a lasting impression on the world. They're popular landmarks among curious tourists. But the once-bustling grandstand of the BMX track has now overgrown with trees and weeds. Farmers were even pictured tending to crops right underneath the finish line. Broken, rotting pieces of wood were strewn about in the beach volleyball stadium. Logos were left to rust in the canoeing and rowing venues. In the mascot graveyard, if that isn't a song, what is? Behind an uncompleted shopping mall, the discarded Chinese Olympic characters, Bebe, Ying Ying, and Nini have seen better days. Who hasn't? Prime Minister Shinzo Abe this week ordered his ruling party in Japan to study whether to introduce daylight savings time for the Olympics in 2020 as a way to deal with Japan's intense summer heat. You should have thought of that before you... Following a meeting with Abe, Yoshiro Mori, head of the organizing committee for the Games, revealed the Prime Minister wants to start gathering opinions given the public and the business community are divided over the idea of moving clocks forward. Abe is quoted as saying the government and the party have to carefully determine whether there's a serious need for the new time system because it would have a huge impact on people's lives. You think? The organizing committee is in favor of using the system. In addition to the Tokyo Games, said Mori, the energy-saving measure is also important for the government's commitment to protect the environment. Olympic officials have been considering a plan to move clocks two hours forward. Japan hasn't used such a system for more than 60 years since the... uh, U.S. and its allies occupied the country, is working to find effective measures to mitigate the physical impact on athletes and spectators from the scorching temperatures expected during the Olympics, followed by the Paralympics. It's okay to scorch the Paralympics, though, isn't it? The committee's vice president told reporters there's not much time to study such a shift. We'll set the clocks back. Oh, and lawmakers should decide on the introduction of the system during an extraordinary session to be convened this autumn. And NEC has announced it will provide a large-scale facial recognition system for the 2020 Summer Olympic Games. It will be used to identify over sorry, 300,000 people at the Games, athletes, volunteers, media, and other staff. It's the first time facial recognition technology will be used for this purpose at an Olympic Games. The system is built around an artificial intelligence engine called NeoFace. This will involve linking photo data with an IC card to be carried by accredited people. Tokyo 2020 presents new security challenges that will require speedy identifications, since they won't have a single Olympic park. But facial recognition is a movement, and we all need one. Every day. Boom! And now, news from outside the bubble. First, the new Iraq from France 24. Remember Maktada al-Sadr? He ran a large-scale militia movement that uh, shot at, maybe even killed, American troops during the uh, mess in Iraq. But now, his alliance has won Iraq's legislative election. That that happened back in May. According to a manual recount, the Electoral Commission announced this week that paves the way for a government to be formed nearly three months after the polls. Allegations of fraud prompted the Supreme Court to order the recount. Sadr's joint list with communists 
will retain all 54 seats it won to become the largest bloc in Iraq's parliament. Sadr has already signed a coalition agreement with a Shiite party, which will stay on 196 seats after the recount. Sadr's party is Shia too. And the secular outgoing Vice President Ayad Alawi, his list would comprise largely of Sunnis. They had 21 seats. The May 12th election saw a record low turnout of 44.5%. Longtime political figures were pushed out by voters seeking change in a country mired in conflict and corruption. Do they thank us? The recount results come after deadly protests broke out early in the summer. Demonstrators are angry at water shortages, unemployment, and the dire state of public services. Do they thank us? Regular power cuts mean there's been little respite from sweltering summer temperatures, with the national grid providing just a few hours of electricity per day. Do they thank us? Many Iraqis are forced to pay to use generators through the private sector. Graft is seen as a huge problem in a country where citizens argue they failed to benefit from the country's oil wealth. This report from France 24, as I said. Now over to China, where a UN Human Rights Committee has heard there are credible reports that China is holding a million minority Uyghurs in counter-extremism centers. This is from the BBC. Carrie McDougall, a member of the UN Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination, made the uh, claims at a two-day UN meeting on China. She, uh, Sorry, Gay, not Gary. Gay said she was concerned by reports that Beijing had, quote, turned the Uyghur autonomous region into something that resembles a massive internment camp, unquote. China did not immediately respond. Beijing has previously denied the existence of such camps. The Uyghurs are a Muslim ethnic minority, mostly based in China's Jingjiang province, around 43% of the population there. That's officially designated as an autonomous region within China, like Tibet. Uh-oh. Reports are that more and more Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities are being detained in that uh, province. That Those rumors have been circulating for some months. Human rights groups, including Amnesty and Human Rights Watch, have submitted reports to the UN Committee documenting claims of mass imprisonment in camps where inmates are forced to swear loyalty to China's President Xi Jinping. The World Uyghur Congress said in its report detainees are held indefinitely without charge and forced to shout Communist Party slogans. They're poorly fed, and reports of torture are widespread. Most inmates have never been charged with a crime and do not receive legal representation. China is set to carry out the detentions under the guise of combating religious extremism. China has denied the existence of these camps. U.S. Uh, senior diplomat in the State Department in April said tens of thousands of people had been detained in re-education centers amid a government crackdown. There's a worsening religious tension in China in the northwestern Ninja province. Hundreds of Muslims engaged in a standoff with authorities this week to prevent their mosque from being demolished. Hadn't been given proper building permits, according to officials. Human rights groups say there is increasing official hostility towards Muslims in China. Well, they should come here if they want. Oh, news from outside the bubble, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. You may remember a few years back, maybe 10 years, when um, we first started becoming aware, you and I, that our data was being sold or being used to... uh, 
help target advertising at us. You know, the people who are at the other end of a targeting are the targets. There's there's a, a bullseye. Anyway, I had said at the time, I'd raised the question, actually, for the legal minds that may be attached to people who listen to this program, whether a person, you, me, anybody else, could copyright their life on the basis that the premise being privacy law is pretty weak, pretty uh, pallid, but thanks to uh, the Walt Disney Company and uh, other creators, uh, copyright law is pretty robust. And if you could copyright your life, then, you know, they'd have to pay you for your data or you could sue them for copyright infringement. And some legal minds who responded said, that's stupid. Thank you. Others said, well, you know, possible. The stupid uh, segment said, you know, your life is not a creative act. Copyright is for creative acts. At which point I said, creative acts are, are a series of choices, as is your life, the data. that they, That's a series of choices. Now, tell me the difference. Anyway, this recalled when I read this week, and I'm going to read it for you now. I read the trades for you. It's what I do when I have nothing better to do. From Advertising Age, an app that lets consumers sell their data directly to brands. Brands such as McDonald's, Staples, and GM are paying cash and purchasing data directly from consumers, giving literal meaning to the notion that data is the new currency. Between regulations such as that in the EU, the so-called GDPR, and scandals like those playing, plaguing Facebook, consumers are aware more than ever of the so-called value exchange when using online services. They're also tuning into how companies such as Cambridge Analytica are plundering their data without consent. To that end, a company called Freckle IoT, as in Internet of Things, recently launched Killy, an app that makes explicit value of data by actually paying customers with cash for sharing their data, location, or providing insight about what ads they'd like to see. Don't ask me. I'd like to see ads for toilets on wheels. Even more money is on the table if users scan the back of their driver's license with their phones. For example, Killy has so far lined up McDonald's, GM, Danone, and Staples as participating brands. This is not something people in the industry should ignore, says the exec VP and head of digital strategy at a media group. AdAge reached out for a comment from the brands involved, didn't get a response by press time. People are excited about this idea and the technology. It's something consumers have been requesting. How do I control my data? Says the exec VP, head of digital strategy at the media group. Data privacy has huge momentum right now, and innovations like Killy are certainly a big step. This can take off in a few hours, weeks, or months. Unquote. Not all that specific, but as he points out, ad blocking was a consumer-created solution for bad ads, and when it took off, it caught the entire industry off guard. The notion of consumers controlling which brands can or cannot access their data is perhaps the next evolution. Oh, she, she says. Sarji, man, 
That's the name. Consumers want control of their data, and marketers need to be compliant with regulation, but there are zero tools for that, says Neil Sweeney, the founder of Freckle IoT. Points to regulation, such as the California Consumer Privacy Act, as evidence on regulation's imminent rise in the United States. The industry is standing on the sidelines, he says. It can't drop the U.S. market like some companies did when GDPR hit in the EU. They just can't afford that. Sweeney says Killy has some 70,000 users since launching in May, despite no marketing, except for paying for this. No, they didn't. That changed as Sweeney began a $5 million campaign aimed at consumer acquisition through platforms such as Apple Search, Facebook, Twitter, and other outfits known for driving app installs. Each transaction occurs through blockchain, which solves the compliance challenge inherent in regulation with regards to securing data. Users have a full record of who exactly has purchased their data. An account manager at eMarketer says he downloaded the app partly because of privacy concerns. Right off the bat, he says you're asked to insert your identity, phone number, allow persistent location, and enable advertising ID. Brands can reach out to you, but it is so much more transparent. I'm the one that is asking for this, and I'm the one who's allowing you to have my data. Unquote. He, the new customer, says he made about 25 cents after signing up for the app. But Killy says it will change once marketers buy in. A luxury brand may pay 10 or $20 to target a consumer if the data adds up. Sweeney says when additional brands come to the table, the average revenue for the user increases. There's a network effect that we're chasing where it suddenly becomes $4, then $6. For that to happen, more users need to sign up, and the company is banking hard on the fact that consumers want control of their data. Agencies representing brands that spend billions on marketing each year are keeping tabs on the app. They're not buying any data yet. says one chief digital officer. We think this is where the industry is heading. We've always felt that way, being an organization focused on primary research. Given all the turmoil within the personal data landscape, it's not the worst thing in the world to benefit from a consumer's own information they share. We thought it was a no-brainer, says that chief digital officer at Horizon Media. This is really about getting to the point where we're having an honest conversation about value related to media and a brand's product offerings. Still, he says his company has not purchased any data, just keeping tabs on the situation to see whether the app can scale and capture a user base in the millions. Mike Lamar at a uh, media company called Hearts and Science says, it used to be like, sure, use my data, but give me stuff for free. Now consumers are becoming more aware that their data is being collected and sold not just once, but multiple times down the chain. They want to have a voice in this and block all these advertisers. Without a doubt, there's going to be an education of the market, and that's going to happen sooner rather than later. Well, I guess more specific than days, weeks, or months. Life gets more specific when I read the trades for you, doesn't it? It's a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
From Edinburgh, Scotland, this is the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of America's longest war. Another report from the Special Inspector General on Afghanistan reconstruction. 40th quarterly report to Congress, as a matter of fact. 
the Special Inspector General, SIGAR is the acronym, S-I-G-A-R, shares donor concerns that the Afghan government may be going back to business as usual and simply checking the box when it comes to fighting corruption. The Department of Justice in the United States views the situation in Afghanistan as consistent with a largely, quote, lawless, weak, and dysfunctional government, unquote, with many corruption cases languishing due to the lack of political will, not the capacity, of the Afghan government. The Afghan Attorney General has failed to respond to personal appeals made by several senior U.S. government officials to prosecute stalled corruption cases, including very high-profile ones, to show that no one was above the law. Despite these appeals, DOJ says the Attorney General continues to have a poor record of prosecuting powerful and influential corrupt actors. The uh, Ministry of the Interior in Afghanistan, according to the Department of Justice of the United States, has failed to execute lawful warrants issued by the prosecutors despite being legally obligated to do so. States the Department of Justice, the problem of powerful and corrupt actor, sorry, actors ignoring warrants is so severe it has undermined the fundamental legitimacy and authority of the uh, Afghan anti-corruption thing. And the uh, um, Army and... Um, Associated forces have increased in size since last quarter, but the force has lost 8,500 personnel since April of last year. 5,353 since April of 2016. The uh, force is only at 89% of its goal strength, being short of 37,000 personnel. And uh, the government has failed to improve its control over Afghanistan's district population and territory since the last quarter. District and territorial control have become slightly more contested between the government and the insurgency. Insurgent control does not necessarily mean poppy growing areas, the main poppy growing areas being controlled. The SIGAR analysis challenges that general assumption, or that poppy is predominantly grown in areas with insurgent activity. Poppy cultivation, says the uh, Inspector General flourishes in Afghanistan under both insurgent and government control. And access to polio vaccines remains a major concern in Afghanistan. The number of children who were inaccessible to vaccination workers has grown rapidly in recent months, rising from 60,000 inaccessible children in February to more than half a million in May. So something's growing. America's longest war, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it sounds from here, let's hear how it sounds over there. From Afghanistan Public Radio, where this year's tote bag is smaller to help save the planet. From the abandoned American television truck in downtown Kabul, where the air conditioning no longer works. But in fairness, neither does the heating. I'm Mahmoud. <laughs> and I'm Hamid. We're hot and hotter. Yeah. Welcome to a steaming midsummer edition of Cars I Talk. Today's program comes to you with the help of the Afghan edition of Vogue, opening your eyes to this month's most fashion-forward burkas. Oh, hold me back. <laughs> <laughs> So, my younger brother, mm -hmm. our Taliban friends seem to be making progress in checkmating the progress of our friends in the government. Yes, my younger brother, it's getting hard to know which progress is really progressing. <laughs> <laughs> but we do know what is making steady progress. Mm. 
chaos. Corruption. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's an ugly word. Mm. I prefer lubricating the wheels of government with the grease of free market profits. That's ugly, and it's too many words. <laughs> <laughs> but you do get points for poetic euphemism. Uh, hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Uh, hello, this is Darius, a long time now ex-soldier in the Afghan National Joke Front Army. <laughs> First time caller. Welcome caller. Did you leave the army, or did the army leave you? I just got tired of being in a platoon, going out on missions, and uh, half of the men not coming back. <clears throat> because they were killed? Uh, because they could make more money selling things. Speaking of which, uh, does either of you need polio vaccine? <laughs> I'm good. I don't think we're allowed to make this kind of transaction over public radio. Uh, maybe if it's a donation for coverage of vaccine issues? Not even then. Mm. But tell me, Mr. D Dariush, yes. when you did go out on these missions, did the local residents welcome you? Well, as you know, Afghan people are very hospitable. Mm -hmm. No. Did they invite you into their homes? No, into their hospitals. <laughs> <laughs> what were the missions you were actually assigned to? Uh, we were out clearing Taliban areas of poppy plants. Mm. Thousands and thousands of them cutting the plants down, hauling them away. And, and, and this was to enforce government policy against the opium trade? No, 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 no. The poppy farmers supporting the government did not like the competition from the Taliban farmers. Mm. In a way that's encouraging news. In what way? Well, it's proof that at least this government can coordinate something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any more questions for us, Dariush, aside from the polio vaccine thing? Uh, actually, yes. Uh, does either of you need any poppy plant? <laughs> <laughs> We're good. Uh, thanks for the call. I guess that would help explain the Afghan army's new motto. Ooh, I didn't know they had one. Mm. What is it? The few, the proud, the fewer. <laughs> <laughs> Don't sue Marines, he's kidding. Hello, you are on Cars I Talk. Hello, um, I am a long-time anti-corruption prosecutor, first-time caller. Oh, welcome, Payam. Uh, I should add, that's not my real name. Well, as long as we have your real voice. Uh, actually, I'm using voice-altering software. Mm. Well... At least we're feelings of real time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could have used your real name and your real voice and just not called us. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you must have a good reason for going through the three-hour call screening process. Uh, I do indeed. Mm. Uh, I think we got some very cheap shots from uh, our American friend, so-called Inspector General, which I find hard to believe. He even made Inspector Sergeant after this so-called report. Hey, uh, Caller, can I call you Caller? Yes, yes. Uh, caller, I'm getting the clear message that you're upset. Maybe a test drive in a new Camry would come. I've warned you. I've ignored you. <laughs> Caller, as my brother called you, it sounds like you disagree with the Inspector General's conclusions. Disagreement. The idea that we would not execute lawful warrants flies in the face of... Sorry, sorry. Who has flies in the face? Stop it. Flies in the face of everything the National Attorney General's office stands for. And nothing 
of what it won't stand for. Mm. Stand means something almost the opposite of itself in that statement. What are you, Mr. Dictionary.com? <laughs> I just... <laughs> uh, so you're saying no warrants against powerful people? Or, or just against bad actors? I hate them. They spoil so many pictures. No warrants have not been executed? As long as all the paperwork has been completed, all the I's dotted, all the T's properly and completely crossed. Of Although, of course, we don't really use I's and T's. Of course. So you're blaming somebody in the completing the paperwork department for any warrants that haven't been executed? Look, I'm taking enough of a chance just making this call from a phone that's not my own. Hmm. Well, whoever's phone that is, he's getting a real good signal. Or she. Mm. I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just shifting the blame off the people the Inspector General blamed personally. I'd like nothing better than to not just serve a warrant, mm -hmm. but actually prosecute anyone who's used corrupt practices to undermine sacred Afghan democracy. But those T's do have to be completely and properly crossed. And, and they're, they're not, not really teas. <laughs> no, they're not. Caller, might I advance a slight theory? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that corruption in the anti-corruption department is keeping the paperwork from being properly completed? That's a very intriguing hypothesis. Well, if you think that's good, you should hear his limericks. <laughs> Don't even start. Uh, as I ponder this theory, mm -hmm. I'm thinking maybe we could investigate it. Well, that's probably a very... Uh, but there is one problem. Mm. I could issue warrants against everyone in that department. But who could do the paperwork on them? It's always the damn paper, isn't it? Every time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the call. <laughs> We had help today from the Bill and Melinda Al-Hafrazi Foundation, helping to build a richer world, one billionaire at a time. Legal services for Cars I Talk, for the law firm of Ketchum and Newcomb. I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. And you know what isn't corrupt? Hmm? The very next edition of Cars I Talk. <laughs> this is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. And speaking of Inspectors General... Well, the Pentagon could save billions of dollars by fixing problems it already knows about. This is from Government Executive, which uh, I guess is, exists to inform government executives. It could save, could the Defense Department, $2.3 billion by implementing nearly three dozen outstanding reforms. I think they mean they haven't been completed yet, not that they're excellent, uh, that were proposed by the Inspector General. That's what the uh, auditors said in a recent report outlining the more than 1,500 open recommendations that the Pentagon has yet to address. Well, first address the ball. Hello, ball. More than 50 of those recommendations have sat idle for at least five years, the IG said. Failure is driven primarily by a lack of communication among various components. It's the bloody Pentagon. Just walk around the rings. Military services have also struggled to draft new policies when the overarching department-wide policy is simultaneously simultaneously being reshaped, leading to further delays. A 2006 report calling for changes to the security clearance process, for example, 
remains unresolved. It's just the security clearance process. Why would? Because the services are still waiting for defense to update an instruction originally issued in 1987. Boys, 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 and girls. The IG said the department achieves the maximum benefit of a recommendation when it is implemented within three years, although some require immediate action. Cybersecurity issues, reports identifying other failures related to criminal activity, may have critical life and safety impacts. It could have far-reaching, devastating consequences without the appropriate remediation, according to the IG. Most of the financial savings that could result from unrealized recommendations surround acquisition and contract management. Pardon me if I say, duh. They involve both costs that were questioned for possibly violating a law, regulation, or agreement, as well as funds that could be put to better use if costs were reduced. Expenditures de-obligated. There's a new word to me, maybe to you. De-obligated. Operations improved or unnecessary outlays eliminated. The IG found an Army Medical Center, for example, was failing to properly collect from delinquent accounts. More than $73 million uncollected. The ID identified 25 recommendations as high priority, significant improvements to DID operations if they were realized. Those um, majority of them were op- implementing efficiencies or ensuring ethical conduct. The Pentagon, for example, has yet to take action on the IG's recommendations to ensure service members convicted by court-martial of certain offenses have their fingerprints recorded and sent to the appropriate law enforcement databases. Fixing such failures said the IG, could have prevented the November 2017 church shooting in Sutherland Springs, Texas, that left 27 people dead. It's just life or death. Speaking of which, elderly patients spent over two weeks in uncontrolled pain or respiratory distress. Acute care was rare on weekends, and recruiters went door-to-door pitching fraudulent schemes, luring healthy patients to sign up for hospice, in exchange for free house cleaning and medicine. These details appear in a report on hospice issued this week by the Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General. It sums up over 10 years of research into inadequate care, inappropriate billing, and outright fraud by hospices, which took in almost $17 billion in Medicare payments a couple years ago. The uh, benefit the benefit aims to help patients live out their final days in peace and comfort, but a Kaiser Health News investigation last year revealed while many of the nation's 4,000-plus hospices earned high satisfaction rates on family surveys, hundreds fell short of their obligations, abandoning families at the brink of death, skipping other services they'd pledged to provide. The Inspector General report points to similar gaps in care and raises concerns that some hospices are milking the system by skimping on services while taking in daily Medicare payments. Report calls on the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to take a bunch of actions to improve oversight, including tying payment to quality of care. That would be nice, wouldn't it? News of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. Apologies of the Week coming up next here on the show.
Okay, it's the Apologies of the Week, fairly truncated edition. A couple weeks ago in Panama City Beach, Florida, during a budget workshop at the city council, police chief requested the city hire an extra 9-11 dispatcher. The mayor, then Mike Thomas, 
said uh, police should police chief should not hire people who are fat, who smoke, or who are going to get pregnant. City council members laughed at the mayor's comments. Now, Councilman Hector Solis and Jeff McConnell have apologized for their reactions. If there was any offense to my reaction, which was a poor reaction, I apologize for that, said Solis. That's an if-pology, you know. The museum in Washington, D.C., a monument to journalism in the First Amendment, has removed from its gift shop shirts emblazoned with the phrase fake news, saying stocking the items was a mistake. We made a mistake and we apologize. A free press is an essential part of our democracy. Journalists are not the enemy of the people, said the museum in a statement. The uh, spokesperson for the museum initially defended the decision to sell shirts, saying they were intended to be a satirical rebuke of anti-media rhetoric. Leave the satire to the professionals, please, museum. The Board of Supervisors in L.A. County apologized Wednesday to more than 200 women coerced into sterilization after delivering babies at Los Angeles County Medical Center between 1968 and 74, urging support of a bill that would pay reparations. For hundreds of years, women have been victimized by patriarchal and racist health care policies, said Supervisor Sheila Kuehl. Hi, Sheila. The women affected by this practice led the rest of their lives deprived of full reproductive freedom and incalculable loss to themselves and their family. Twitter apologized to conservative activist Candace Owens after briefly locking her out of her account over tweets the company believed violated its content rules. Unlike, let's say, Alex Jones. We've restored your account. We apologize for any inconvenience this may have caused, said the message. Owens, an activist at a conservative group, used Twitter to criticize a New York Times editorial writer, Sarah Jong. Owens took the language of several of Jong's tweets, but changed the race the tweets were referring to from white to black. And then he, she was blocked from her accounts after the tweets. She said she was trying to prove a double standard. Same Candace Owens receives an apology from MSNBC political analyst Michael Eric Dyson. He apologized for calling her a little girl during a heated debate on the network. At the end of a segment focused on President Trump and the state of the black community in America. Dyson argued that Owens was reducing a debate to narcissistic self-preoccupation by broaching an incident where she and president of the foundation that she was in was surrounded at a Philadelphia restaurant while eating breakfast. Water was poured on Kirk as they exited the restaurant. You're using big words and saying nothing. I have said nothing narcissistic, said Owens. We're out of time, said the host. Bless your heart, little girl, said Dyson to Owen before they went to break. That's why I don't watch cable news. Lady Gaga has apologized after what she probably thought was a well-intentioned statement honoring her friend, the famously tattooed Canadian model and actor Rick Genest, better known as Zombie Boy. She uh, said... She tweeted about a suicide and how she was beyond devastated, according to People magazine. But Gaga deleted the tweet after his family went public to delete to dispute the assumption that he took his own life. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time, or when you know when you want to listen to it on your audio device of choice. It's a free country. They all are. No, they aren't. Aren't any of them? And it'll be just like them all being free countries if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and egg. No, Chicago, not in exile. And the Hawaii desk as well. Thanks as also to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, playlist of music heard here on, and your chance to get Cars I Talk t shirts if you want them, only if you want them. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from Edinburgh. Mm-hmm.